Welcome to Tribes Podcast. Thank you for making this message a part of your week. If you're ever in Jackson Hole, we would love for you to visit our tribe family. We meet on Sundays at 5.30 at the Snow King Conference Center. And if you'd like to know more about us, you can find us online or on Facebook by searching tribejh.com. Matthew chapter 2. I want to read a, a few uh, passages. I want to read a, a few verses to you. And, and starting in chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called the meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time that the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I too can go and worship him. After this interview, the wise men left and went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now, if you like kind of digging into Scripture and you love like rooting around in there, boy, this is a great verse. Verse 10 is a great verse to just sink the pickaxe of your study and your commentaries and just really dig in that verse, especially that phrase, they were filled with joy. It literally means like they, they lost it when they saw a baby lying in a manger. They entered the house where they saw the child and his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. It's like they became undone. And then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The title of tonight's message is Hope in Motion. Hope in Motion. And to illustrate what I'm talking about, I want to show you a picture of a map that, that I got here. And uh, you'll see that thin red arcing line on the map. That's more or less the route that the wise men, or as they were called, magi, it's where we get the English word magicians. They were basically like New Age astrologers. They were looking at signs and, and doing all kinds of things to, to try to interpret the future. And they came across these, these interesting texts. And some, some scholars believe that this was the school established by Daniel when he was a Magi back in the Old Testament during one of the times that Israel was in captivity in Babylon. And these magicians, astrologers, uh, future lookers saw this star and they followed this star on a very long journey that led them into Israel. And when they got to Israel, they knew that this was the star of a new king. And where do kings live? Kings live in palaces and capital cities. So they made their way to the capital of Israel, which was in Jerusalem. 
Now, not at the same time, but at a different time, as you can see, there's a tiny little red arrow to the left of that. Let's, let's go to the next slide, and we can zoom in on that, because I'm standing right here, and I could hardly even see it. So you got that big red arcing line. They had to come up and over, and then they entered Israel from the north, because if they were to cut straight across, there's just all kinds of uh, uh, formidable desert, and uh, it wasn't along any of the major trade routes, so they kind of followed the road system. And you can see that long arcing arrow that comes down from Babylon into Israel, but then you can see, just to the left of it, a smaller red line. That's the line of Mary and Joseph. They lived in Nazareth, and they had to travel back to their, the husband's place of birth to take a census. And Joseph was a descendant from this town of Bethlehem. So here go Mary and Joseph into Bethlehem. Would you go back one slide? Because I want us to look, this is kind of, I'm sorry to do this to you if you're a student in here, but we're going to look at a little bit of a, a math story problem. Anybody like story problems in here? All right, we'll pray for you later. I should have given you my homework. So now look at this. We don't know the exact moment when the wise men arrived in Bethlehem. It wasn't, I'm sorry to mess up your nativity scene, but it wasn't at the manger. The Bible says that when the wise men arrived and they entered the home, so Mary had obviously gotten some sort of a room upgrade from the manger, basically a livestock stable, to some sort of a room. So some amount of time has gone on. But it's not that he's, you know, eight or nine or ten years old. When you look at the story taken from Matthew and from Luke, somewhere between birth and two years old is the timeline. Now let's just say, over the course of a person's life, you know, one month, 12 months, 24 months, it's, it's, it's almost nothing. So in essence, and that's the way that it reads in the story, in essence, the wise men arrived in Bethlehem more or less about the same time as the wise men. Now, this is where we get into the story problem, all right? So you have the wise men arriving in Bethlehem more or less about the same time that Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem. Now, who had to travel a greater distance? Who had to travel further? The wise men, right? right? The wise men had to travel further. So what does that mean? Who had to start? Let's assume, now we got to be a little bit technical here or Burr will get after me for not clearly defining this math problem. Let's assume that they're traveling at the same rate of speed. Okay, that's something that's, that's worth clarifying, okay? Because if the rate of speed is different, you know, if, if Mary and Joseph were on their bellies crawling and the wise men had a Tesla and solar panels, you know, things would be a little bit different. But let's assume same rate of speed, they're walking on foot. Now, the wise men, we assume that they had a caravan of animals and all that, but I mean, I don't know if you've ever been on a camel ride, but they're slow. And they're almost as stinky as they are slow. You know the camels sweat, right? Have you ever smelled a camel? I mean, that's why it's such a great insult. Okay, I'll just leave it. They're traveling at the same rate of speed. 
they arrive at the same time, the wise men had to travel a lot further so we can conclude who had to start sooner. Yes, the wise men. This is important. I mean, it may seem really simple and obvious to you until it comes to applying this to your own life. But God put the wise men in motion long before Jesus was born so that at just the right time, they would arrive at the same place together. The title of tonight's message is Hope in Motion. In the same way, God is actively working behind the scenes, getting the fulfillment of his plan for your life ready. Now, this is huge. Because you might not see it. Certainly, maybe somebody in here isn't feeling like it. But this is the message that the Lord put on my heart to share with you tonight. You may not, you may see, it may seem like the fulfillment of your promise or what, you know, that thing that you're believing God for, that hope deep inside your heart that you've been holding on to and you're just not seeing it. Maybe God's forgotten about you. Maybe it was just some silly idea in the first place. But God arranged things to get you in the seat tonight so that you could hear him tell you that right now he is working behind the scenes to bring to fulfillment or to bring into reality at just the right moment that thing that you've been believing God for. Did Mary and Joseph know that the wise men were coming? Nope. Did the wise men know exactly what it was that they were in store for? No, the Bible says that they were just completely undone, but God knew. I put a few verses um, in my notes and on the screen here, and I'd like you to write down these references so that you can come back and chew on these. The first one I want to read to you is out of Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> and it says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I underlined a few words here. And we know that means to be absolutely convinced. Maybe somebody in here has read that verse a thousand times and they believe it, but they don't really know it yet. They're not absolutely convinced that God causes everything, your success, your failure, the good stuff that you've just happened to stumble into, maybe awful things that have happened to you. He's not the creator of those things, but he can cause those things to work for what? to make it work out so that it's okay, to maybe try to... Nope, that word there, good, is an understatement. Picture uh, a, a cup with water being poured into it. And it says, when he does it for the good, it's not just some, it's not halfway, it's not most of the way. But the Bible says, when 
He causes things to work together for the good. Here's what he means. Good all the way to the top and then spilling over in a reckless or prodigal fashion. That's the goodness that God has for you. For those who are convinced, for those who know, I love what the Passion Translation, it says, so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives, for we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design and purpose. And here's another verse. Just write the address down. You can come back and chew on it. It's in Galatians. And it says this, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent his spirit, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So that... What I've accumulated in my life, when I die, I'm going to pass it on to my heir, to, to my son, Kai. That's just a given. There's nothing that could thwart that. It's not like I would ever give it to not Kai and give it to one of his friends, Rye or Xander. Like, that's just not going to happen. And we have an inheritance from the Lord that he's already died, so we become a beneficiary of it. And here's what's amazing. He's also the executor of his own will because he rose again from the dead. And as an executor, do you know what an executor of an estate does? He makes sure that everything gets to the person that it's going to. And Jesus is, gets to be the executor of his own will. There is no way, as far as his part is concerned, that you would ever miss out on anything that is coming to you. But again, according to Romans 8.28, for those who know. Okay, one more, one more. Psalms 27, verse 13. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. That verse was written by a guy named David who, when he wrote those words, he was not seeing. And he was not seeing God's goodness in that moment. But he had this hope that was in motion. He had this hope that could not be ripped out of his heart. And out of the overflow of the heart, the Bible says, the mouth speaks. And sometimes the pen writes. And here's what the pen wrote, Psalms 27, verse 13. Yet I am confident. Here's this idea of, of confident. Um, all right, Shuler, come up here real quick. Okay. <clears throat> okay. All right, so you, you come, come here. I ain't going to bite. All right, now I'm, I'm standing here. No, you don't stand there. Okay. You stand here. All right? Now, you just give me, give me a, a good shove on this shoulder. Yeah, that, that's not very confident. 
Okay? When it says, I am confident, this is what confidence looks like. Okay, try it again. No, okay, try. <laughs> so, what is the condition of your faith, your hope? Does it look like this? Easily shaken and moved? Or is your faith stalwart and strong? Where is your hope? So that when the enemy would come and try to dispossess you of what it is you're believing God for, he can push and he can shove and you can hear the words of David. I am confident. I am confident. I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Is that making sense to anybody? Mm, okay. I can tell you need a, you need a little bit more. <clears throat> you need a little bit more. All right. Let's see what we can do here. This rope has been coiled very well. Let's do this. All right, uh, Joe, I'm gonna need a little bit of help here. All right, you go stand in that corner where you were, okay, and just hold on to it, okay? Now watch your head. That's why we always climb with a climbing helmet. Oh, just in, case. just in case, all right. Now, put this right here. What, 35 meters goes a long way. Doesn't seem to go this far when you're uh, in the middle of Chatterbuck Kular. You got two more, you got uh, two wraps to do to get out of that thing. People on the podcast that just listen to the audio, like, all right, time to use your imagination. Is that a courtesy laugh, Susan? A genuine? Hey, watch that tripod, would you please? All right, let's see. How about Meredith over here? Okay. <clears throat> get you, yeah, get you in the game. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and stand up? Watch your head. Okay. <clears throat> this is you. This is you on, no. <laughs> One of these carabiners is you. Here you are. This is the fulfillment of God's promise, what he's spoken over you. How far apart are those things back here? Long way. How in the world? How in the world? What is it that you're believing for? Maybe you have a son or a daughter that is far from the Lord. Maybe there's a health issue in your life. Maybe there are some financial struggles that you're up against. Maybe you're battling depression or loneliness in the midst of 
all of the fun and festivities. You just feel lost and out of sorts. Maybe you feel a little tangled up. Look how far apart the promise and the reality of your situation is. How far apart were Mary and Joseph from what God had in store for them when those wise men appeared. But tonight's message is not about how far apart those things are. Tonight's message is about the intersection of those two things. And uh, maybe if we had a little bit of help. Now hold on. your face, Mo. <laughs> All right. Here you come. Go ahead and let that carabiner go. And you don't need to hold it up because it's not going to go very far. Yeah. But when that carabiner gets to you, maybe give it a little bit of help. And here comes God's promise. And when that carabiner gets to you, you can give it a little bit of help. Hold it there. Help it out. Hope in motion. And you two can come on up. Now, when I was planning this out, thank you. It would be this moment that there would be an eruption of thunderous applause. The ceiling was going to rip off. <laughs> Angels would be ascending and descending because it's a really great analogy. I don't want to have to do it again. But it was so impactful that you're just absorbing it, right? You're absorbing it. It's humorous. It's, it's incredibly simple. But it's, it's profound and powerful because this is, this is what our life is really like. We're traveling along on one, on one trajectory. We're believing for something. We're praying for something. We're hoping in something. And we have no idea the arrival or the time period. And in our mind, I don't know about your mind, but in my mind, it's always as far apart as it could possibly be. But at just the right time, God has planned an intersection of your hope and his fulfillment and his promise. So what do you do in the in-between time before these things converge? How does that work? Uh, I'm going uh, to have Matt coil up this one over here. I'm going to have Tom coil up this one so I can keep preaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just good luck. Modified butterfly. <laughs> what happens? 
Will you put that on the screen, Christian? I got to land the plane here. Hope. Hope. An acronym is coming. So just write that down. If you don't know that's about to be an acronym, you haven't been to church very much, and you don't know pastors love acronyms. But it's so good. Before the convergence, how do we have hope? Well, it's right here in the, in the, in the word hope. H stands for hold on. We talk about this a lot. That there is, a, there is, it would be great if the kingdom of God worked like the microwave in your kitchen, right? I didn't make any apologies for any rope burns that a person might receive, but it'll be just a powerful reminder of hope. <clears throat> well, there's a prayer area in the back. They will pray for you and maybe put some little salve on it. <clears throat> You have to hold on. What is it that God has whispered to your heart? How do you have hope before the convergence of these two things? You have to hold on. There's a story in Zechariah about the, about the uh, excuse me, um, uh, yeah, Zechariah was the high priest and an angel appeared to him when he was in the, when he was in the temple and he says, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah's like, I'm going to What? And the idea in the Hebrew text is that Zechariah had prayed for a son and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And his, his name was going to be John the Baptist. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. But there's, there's an indication in the text that would suggest that Zechariah had stopped praying before the promise arrived. Don't let go of your promise. Hold on. Number two, or O, oh, I guess, obey. It's not like you just get to kick back and wait for that welfare check to arrive. I'm owed this promise. There's a lot to obey. There's a, a, a maturation promise. If your promise, that, that, that fulfillment, that plan that God has for you, if it were to arrive at the wrong time before you were ready, before you were ready, it would actually, the blessing of God would actually ruin you. It would cause your downfall because you couldn't handle it. You wouldn't have the character. You wouldn't have the resilience. You wouldn't have the understanding of God. And so it's not like we just sit back and twiddle our thumbs. That's why the title of the message is Hope in Motion. It's an action word to hope. Not just sit back and say, man, I hope we get RPK3 tomorrow because I got a day off and I'd like to go ski. I mean, that, that's like passive. I mean, there's nothing we can do about the weather. You can... You know, burn whatever last year's skis that you want and jump all around me. And we don't, we can't control the weather. You just kind of sit back. Well, I hope it snows. But that's not like faith. That's not the promise that God has for you. Not only do we have to hold on, but we have to obey and obey in the little things. There may be something right now. What if, what if, what if, what if you are here and you're in the promise is just so close but God is waiting for you to take that final step of obedience. And maybe for you in here tonight, maybe that step of obedience is surrender your life to him. Invite him into your heart and make him the leader of your life. You've never been saved before. And maybe you've been to church or you know some stuff about God. 
But maybe tonight, the step of obedience that you need to take is actually getting saved and making Jesus the leader and savior of your life. This will be the end of the message at the end. P, praise. What did David say? I'm convinced that I'm gonna see the goodness of the Lord while I'm still in the land of the living. And what happens when you're convinced of something? It's as if you operate as if it has already happened. Now, how, how does that lubricate the esophagus to sing praise? That's the confidence. That's the confidence of a group of people that God is looking for. That they read it, they encounter him, and they believe it to the core of their being long before they ever see it. And that's what causes praise to come out of their mouth. If you're new to church, and you're like, man, a lot of singing. People seem real happy in here. It's not because everything's working out great. I don't know the situation in everybody's life, but I know statistically speaking, it can't be all wonderful for everybody in here. But there's something different about the people of God. They've exercised that praise muscle so that even before the arrival of what it is they're believing God for, they can still thank him and praise him. I mean, that's why we sing that song. This is how I fight my battles. It's so counterintuitive. This is how I fight my battles by by singing. What good has singing ever done? (laughs) Should read your Bible. Here's the last one. E, you got to exercise your faith. The Bible says that every person has been given a measure of faith. You got it in there. Bible says, and all it takes is faith the size of a mustard seed. Are there any steps that you can take to put your hope in motion? You know, that's what the wise men did. Look at this. They held on. A nine-month journey. I don't know how many hundreds of miles, but how easy would it have been for them to be like, well, (laughs) probably missed the baby shower. Monsoons are coming. She just turned back. But they held on. They obeyed. They followed the signs. And we know that when they met Jesus, however old he was, when they met him, they fell at his feet and they worshiped him. Magi, astrologers, incredibly intelligent people just came unglued at the sight of this little baby. Why? Because there was such a strong anointing on baby Jesus already. And they exercised their faith. I mean, anybody can see a star, but who has the faith to to follow it? Yeah, you do. This is what, the name of our church is called Tribe, but that's what makes us a, a, a tribe, and not just this church, but a tribe of Christians, is we live and breathe. I mean, that's like fuel for our bodies, this thing called 
hope. And in the New Testament, the Bible talks about this thing called the living hope. That living hope is the very person of Jesus Christ. When we put our hope in Him, everything else changes. And I know that it's not a matter of just sitting back and just waiting. But hope in motion. And this is how we have to fight. Paul said, fight the good fight of what? Faith. Would you stand to your feet with me just real quick? Let's put this sermon into practice. And as, as counterintuitive as it may seem, especially if you are a doer and you want to just get out and do and strive and, and try to make it happen on your own, maybe what you need to do is to just stop. Attack your problem from a different angle, from a different perspective. Why don't you get your eyes off of your own resources, your own ability and what you're able to accomplish? And let's open up our mouth and praise Him and show the world how we actually fight our battles with praise by thanking Him. I think we're even going to go so far to help you out as to put the words on the screen here. Let's, uh, let's put some hope in motion for just a few moments, all right?